Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning. So as I came in this morning, my good friend Don Bissell, he was greeting out front. He said, are you in a good mood today? And I had to stop for a second. Like, wait, wait a minute. Am I not normally in a good mood? But he was referring to the fact that we are gathered here to celebrate the World Series champion, Houston Astros. All right, let's hear it. All right, any Philadelphia fans in here? Anybody I need? Okay, good. I haven't offended anybody yet. So I want to welcome everyone who's here in the room, everybody watching online as well. So a, a drunken man got on a bus late one evening staggered up the aisle and and sat next to a woman clutching a Bible. Well, this lady looked the wayward drunk up and down and and finally said to him, I've got news for you, mister. You're going straight to hell. And with that, the guy jumped out of his seat and shouted, oh man, I'm on the wrong bus again. Yeah. So I ran across this article, and it speaks of this tendency that we have to judge other people. And I want you to listen carefully to this, because it kind of points out the dangers of when we step into the role of judge. A grocery store checkout clerk wrote to advice columnist Ann Landers to complain she had seen people buy luxury food items like birthday cakes and bags of shrimp with their food stamps. The writer went on to say that she thought all those people on welfare who treated themselves to such non-necessities were, quote, lazy and wasteful. A few weeks later, Lander's column was devoted entirely to people who had responded to the grocery clerk. One woman wrote, quote, I didn't buy a cake, but I did buy a big bag of shrimp with food stamps. So what? My husband had been working at a plant for 15 years when it shut down. The shrimp casserole I made was for our wedding anniversary dinner and lasted three days. Perhaps the grocery clerk who criticized that woman would have a different view of life after walking a mile in my shoes. Well, another woman wrote this. Quote, I am the woman who bought the $17 cake and paid for it with the food stamps. I thought the checkout woman in the store would burn a hole through me with her eyes. What she didn't know is the cake was for my little girl's birthday. It will be her last. She has bone cancer and will probably be gone within six to eight months. People, you and I, we never know what other people are dealing with, do we? And therein lies the danger of stepping into that role of judging others. So as Matt said, this morning we're wrapping up this whole series where we're taking an in-depth look at what is called free grace theology. And our key statement for this series has been this, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Basically, that means salvation is by grace, a gift of God. And you don't do anything to earn that gift. It's received by faith. You simply believe that Jesus offers forgiveness and eternal life. And in that moment, you become God's child. 
And then your place in heaven is secure forever. It cannot be lost. Not by doing bad stuff, not by doubting God. Nothing you ever do can change the fact that God has adopted you into his family, that you are his child, that you have everlasting life. And I think that fact alone proves that our God is a God of enormous grace. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 probably says it better than any other passage. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. See, because Jesus did all the work for us, there should be no one boasting. No one saying, hey, I'm up here, I'm better than you. Step up your game, will you? Like, none of that. Which brings us to our topic today that is directly related to a free grace understanding of the Bible. It's an issue that Jesus attacked more often and more severely than any other sin. It's not adultery. It's not lying. It's not looking at porn. It's the sin of self-righteousness, of judging other people. I agree with my brother Chuck Swindoll, who calls this the deadliest sin in the world. You know, whether you're rich or poor, educated or uneducated, Christian or non-Christian, you'll find this attitude of judging others. I mean, politicians, prostitutes, pastors, everybody is guilty of this. And it's somewhat insidious because it's the one sin that we tend to make excuses for. Like, I'm not really judging. I'm just telling it like it is. Well, this morning, we're going to focus on a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 2. We're going to break this down. We're going to exegete this particular passage because in this passage, Paul is going to put us in our place if we struggle with this sin of self-righteousness. He's addressing self-righteous Jews who were judging the Gentiles, and he makes it crystal clear, you and I are not the judge. That is God's job. Now, the key word in this entire section is the word judgment. I want us to start with verse 1 here. Look at verse 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment. Right, first of all, we have to understand what this word means here, because there are several different words in the Greek, even in English, we use different words. And so this particular word for judgment here, krino, it doesn't mean to just discern or evaluate. That's the kind of judging we can do. This particular word, it means to sentence, to pass a verdict, to self-righteously condemn another person. And so Paul says, you who condemn other people, you have no right to sit in the judge's seat. And then he gives us four characteristics of a self-righteous person. Right, this is the person who thinks, you know, I'm not so bad. I mean, I'm okay. I may have a few faults and weaknesses, but, but compared to others, I'm awesome, all right? And here we go. Let's look at these. First of all, the self-righteous judge accuses others and excuses himself. Verse 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. I mean, isn't it typical of human nature to be unrealistic about ourselves? Like, everybody else is guilty, but I'm innocent. It's everybody else's fault. You know, the word for that is hypocrisy. And the worst kind of pride is religious pride. Like, I've got it together, and you don't. But you ever notice how good we are at excusing our own sins? Like, we, we label it differently. Like, 
We don't gossip. We just share a concern, right? I'm not critical. I'm discerning. I'm not lazy. I'm mellow. We sort of rename our sin. I'm not negative. I'm realistic. I'm not unreliable. I'm, I'm flexible. And we accept at face value what we see in other people. But when it comes to ourselves, we don't think it's wrong. It's, it's just my personality. It's just who I am. Like How many times have you heard that one? And we also conveniently forget our own sin. It's been said that the person who thinks he has a clear conscience just has a poor memory. Right? Second, the self-righteous individual measures others by the wrong standard. Look at verse 2. We know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So God is the one who sets the standards. And his judgment is based on truth because he sees people's hearts. But when man judges, he compares others to himself. Like, I'm the arbitrary standard. I'm better than fill in the blank. The problem is we are blind to the truth. We don't see our own weaknesses. And here's the ultimate irony. We often tend to judge in others what we dislike in ourselves. So if you struggle with pride, you're going to be quick to judge people who are prideful. Or if you struggle with laziness, you're going to be quick to judge people who are lazy. It's just our nature. Whenever you see someone reacting vehemently to a particular sin, they either have a fear of it or they're guilty of it. Third, the self-righteous person thinks that judging others puts him in a better position. Look at verse 3. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Like God's saying, do you think judging others is going to win you brownie points with me? Like it's going to make it less serious for you? One of the reasons we judge others is it makes us feel superior, like we're not so bad. But that's faulty logic there. I mean, let's say you and I owe money to someone, and I've got 20 grand of debt to that person, but you only have $10,000 of debt. And so you say, well, you know what? Since you're in more debt than I am, I'm free from my debt. I mean, does that make sense? No. His sin is worse than mine. Does that negate your own sin? No. We think that by passing judgment on others, it's somehow going to put us in a position to be in a better place when it comes to God's judgment, but God doesn't judge on a curve. Remember, whenever you got a finger of criticism pointing at someone else, you've got three fingers pointing back at yourself. And then finally, this one's very interesting here. The self-righteous judge misinterprets God's blessings in his life. Look at verse 4. Paul gets into something kind of deep here. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? So self-righteous people presume on God's goodness. They take it for granted. It's this attitude of, well, everything's going great, so... God must think I'm a pretty special person. Like the self-righteous person starts to believe that they deserve God's blessing, or maybe somehow they've earned it. And what they don't realize is that it's all of God's grace. Every good and perfect gift is from God, and it's from his grace. And the purpose for his kindness, the purpose for his blessings is to lead us toward repentance, like to motivate us to change. It's like the old saying, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. 
like the positive approach, God's love, God's goodness, not God's judgment, is what leads people to change. And this is so important to grasp. I think when we realize how loving and gracious God is toward us, that's what just wrecks us, right? That's what causes us to go, man, God, Lord, you've been so good to me. I'm so grateful for what you've done. I recognize you have not given me what I deserve. You've given me your blessings. But the self-righteous person misinterprets God's blessings. Now, in verse 5, Paul lays out the results of being judgmental. He says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. When we harbor a self-righteous attitude of I'm okay and you're not, all we're doing is storing up wrath for ourselves. You got to ask the question, why is that? You ever wonder, why is it that Jesus was most upset at the Pharisees and not the tax collectors, not the adulterers? Well, it's because they destroyed the dignity of other people. Being judgmental is playing God. It's putting others down. It's discouraging others. It's condemning others. So watch out. Now, unfortunately, we don't have the time this morning to take a look at all that God has to say in the word about when it's wrong to judge others. So what I've done is I've given you a list on your outline along with some scripture references. You can go look these up on your own. But let me just fly through these real quick. Seven specific times when the Bible says it's wrong for us to judge others. First, when you practice the same sin. Second, when it blinds you to your own faults. Third, when you draw conclusions based on outward appearance. We do that a lot. Fourth, when you condemn somebody else before hearing the facts. Fifth, when you judge a person's spirituality based on external observances. Six, when it causes you to speak evil against or slander another believer. And then finally, when you question people's motives. I mean, that's just a sampling here. Do you think God has a bit of an issue when it comes to us playing the judge? Now, Ephesians 4.29 is an excellent guideline in the matter of how we should speak about other people. There's a great verse here. Listen carefully. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You know, if we always speak in a way that benefits others, that builds up that person, then we'll never fall into the trap of slandering that individual. Now, here's a question that may be floating around your mind. Is it ever right, Brian, to judge another person? Well, not in a condemning way, like Paul is referring to here. The Bible does talk about times when we are to be evaluative. We are to be discerning in a particular situation. But that's different than what we're talking about here. And over in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 to 5, got an excellent passage on judging. I want you to take a look at what Paul's attitude towards this is. Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Boy, that's a huge statement right there. We could unpack that for a long time. It's like, I'm not judging myself. My conscience is clear. (laughs) Doesn't mean I'm innocent. He says, it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose 
Here it is. The motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. I would encourage you to circle that word motives there, underline that, highlight that. When Paul says judge nothing, he's saying never judge another person's motives. Never judge another person's motives. You're, you're in dangerous territory. You talk about playing God. I mean, this is huge. You know, people continually questioned Paul's motives. They really did. I mean, all the time. If you do anything significant in life, I bet you people will question your motives too. I mean, the, the people in the early churches, even the churches that Paul planted back in the first century, they questioned his motives as an apostle, his motives as a church planter. You know, is it ego? Is he after money? Power struggle? Empire builder? You know what Paul says? <laughs> I don't care if you judge me or not. I'm not accountable to you. I'm only accountable to God. And that verse there should remind us we have no business judging other people's motives. I mean, hear me on this. Most of the time, we don't even know why we do what we do, right? Much less why other people are doing what they're doing. Only God knows our true motives. And so the message of Romans 2 and numerous other passages in the Bible is that we are not the judge. Now, if we're not the judge, does that mean there will be no justice in this world? <laughs> Au contraire. There is a judge. God is the judge. And so Paul goes on to say there is one being in this whole universe who's qualified to judge. And then Paul's going to explain here both when and how God will judge all people. Let's talk about this. First of all, when will God judge? All right, let's jump down to verse 16. This will take place on the day, I think that's a reference to the final judgment day, when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. I think we need to keep this passage in context here. First of all, who specifically is Paul addressing in this passage? Well, back in verse 5, he says it's the stubborn, unrepentant individual. So personally, I believe he's talking about unbelievers here, which means what Paul has in mind, the judgment he has in mind is what's called the great white throne judgment. It's described in Revelation chapter 20. That is going to be the big day of judgment for unbelievers believers, those whose names are not written in the book of life. And I don't know if you know this or not, there are actually two separate judgments in the Bible. There's also a judgment for us as believers. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment, and we read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In fact, we're going to talk about that next year in a series about that particular judgment, rewards for us as Christians. It's a fascinating topic, but that's not necessarily what Paul has in mind here. But I will say this, whether it's the Bema seat judgment for believers or the great white throne judgment for unbelievers, we will all have to give an account of our lives before God. We will all give an account of our lives before God. The difference is for the believer, the matter of our eternal destination, it's, it's secure. It's set. If you put your faith in Jesus, your eternal destination is heaven, period, end of story. And so that Bema seat judgment, it has to do with rewards that we'll receive or a lack of rewards. It has to do with position in heaven. But the unbeliever's judgment has to do with eternal destination, and it's not pretty. It's a judgment unto damnation. Okay, second question is this. How will God judge? Well, God judges people two ways. First, back in verse 2, it says, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things 
and here it is, is based on truth. Now, one of the reasons God can judge and, and we can't is because God knows everything and we don't. I mean, God has seen every moment of every person's life from the cradle to the grave. So his judgment is based on truth. Second, God judges impartially. Hey, look at verse 11. For God does not show favoritism. Now, no favoritism with God. That may sound obvious to you. You, know, you may be thinking, well, yeah, of course. If God played favorites, that would violate his perfect character, his nature. He's perfect in justice, perfect in love. And you would be right. But some Jews in Jesus' day really believed that God did show favoritism, that God did show partiality. In fact, they believed that God would somehow overlook their offenses, their sins, simply because they didn't worship idols or because God had given them the law. I mean, they really believed that God could just bend his character and be partial to them because they were the chosen ones. They were the special ones. And Paul is confronting that here and saying, no way. God does not play favorites. And so God, he promises everyone a fair trial. And this sort of ties into my previous message about sowing and reaping. If you missed that message two weeks ago, I would really encourage you to go online and listen to it. This whole law of sowing and reaping. I simply made the point that whatever a person sows, that person will reap. So if you sow good things, you're going to reap some kind of good result, some kind of reward for that, some blessing from God. And if you sow bad things, there will be some kind of consequence, some kind of penalty, maybe some kind of loss of reward. And there's really only one exception to this law of sowing and reaping. It applies only to us as believers in Jesus Christ. See, the Bible does say that if we sow sin, that we will reap eternal separation from God. But that's where Jesus came into the equation and he paid the price for that particular sin of us going to hell when he died on the cross for our sins. And so all those who believe in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life will not go to hell, will not be eternally condemned, will not be separated from God. Like we get a pass on that one. Remember sometimes back when you, when you were in school, if you did a certain something, you could get a pass on the final exam? Like you completed a certain project or you got a paper done or you had outstanding attendance and the prof said, hey, you get to skip the final exam. I got some good news for you. There's a way that you can skip that final, that final judgment. Put your faith in Jesus and you won't have to go through that. Now, if you flip over to Revelation 20, John gives us an advanced picture of what it's gonna be like on that final day of judgment. And God makes it clear that there will be a group of people who get to bypass it all. Listen carefully to what the apostle John wrote here. This is Revelation 20, 12 to 15. He said, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. I want you to pay attention to the plural form, books there. Notice that plural books. And then he's going to skip. You got the books over here, the set of books. And then another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. Okay, there's a distinction. And then he says, the dead were judged, judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Okay, notice the plural books again. So the ones being judged here are those whose deeds are recorded in this first set of books, not those in the book, singular, the book of life. He says, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. 
The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So how do you get a pass on the final exam? Make sure your name is written in that book, the book of life. And John 3, 16 to 17, a classic verse, tells us how to do that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Folks, Jesus wants to save us from the judgment. He wants to save you from that judgment. He didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And as I close here, I want you to hear me very, very clearly on this point. Very clearly. Listen, if you don't accept Jesus as your Savior, then one day you will have to face him as your judge. And so let me urge you, if you don't know for sure that Jesus is your Savior, make sure you've done that. Make sure you get a pass on that day of judgment. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for making it so, so clear in your word. I thank you that you have provided a way for us to escape that great white throne judgment. And I just pray for anybody here today as we wrap up this series on grace, if they have not embraced the fact that you were a God of love, you were a God of grace, and that salvation is a free gift received by faith alone, that they would just put their faith in you. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're not 100% sure you can be, just say, Jesus, I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in my own good works. I'm not trusting in any other name or anybody else. I'm trusting in you. I believe you died for my sins. And I believe that you offer forgiveness and eternal life by faith alone. And you cannot lie. So you, if you say that if I believe in you, I won't perish, I believe I won't perish, but have everlasting life. So right now, I'm trusting you, Jesus. Lord, for the rest of us, would we be reminded about the dangers of judging? There's so many passages of Scripture, so many. And we, if we're honest, we, we, we cross this line, we judge people's motives, we sit in that judge's seat that only you should be in. And we do it a lot. So forgive us and catch us before we go there. Remind us of how gracious you are and remind us of the fact that we don't have the full story in anybody's life. We don't know what another person is going through or has gone through. And I pray that we would let no unwholesome words come out of our mouth, but only what is useful for building up others that will benefit those who listen. God, might we be more loving and gracious as you were, Jesus. That's in the mighty, awesome name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. All right, guys, go have a wonderful week in the Lord.